Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Hi to everybody, Ben. No, I refuse to uh, acknowledge, as always, any robots or artificial intelligences that might be subscribed to our podcast. If you are one of those, just hit the unsubscribe button right now. Well, robots will certainly enjoy our podcast because we are talking about cars all the time. Um, And robots, as you know, will be starting to drive some cars too, you know, those self-driving cars. You know, honestly, self-driving cars, if uh, I I feel kind of uh, cheated because if self-driving cars meant a robot that would get into my current car and drive it for me, that is amazing. And that is something I would totally – it's a missed opportunity too because if you think about it, a robot driver could also just go to the grocery store for you. Uh, you could stay in the car, and it can go in and do all your shopping. You can just hang out, play Angry Birds or whatever it is you do when you're not driving. And then the the robot comes back, drives you home. You come back inside, and you depower the robot so it doesn't know what you do in your house when you're all by yourself. And it's perfect. But instead, we get stuff like uh, LiDAR sensors and um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Waymo, which we'll talk about later. And anyway, I, huge missed opportunity for humanity. You've been thinking about this a lot, I've noticed. I think about robots because one day they'll be thinking about us. Oh, that's true. Um, listen, me and me and Ben, I guess we usually we usually describe what we do and where like why people would listen to us, but uh, I'm having a tough I'm having a tough time trying to, to trying to convince people after your robot rant uh, to tell to, to tell them to listen to us because well, I'm an automotive journalist and you're just a robot evangelist over there. I'm a robot evangelist <laughs> slash robot fearmonger. Oh, okay. You're right in the middle. I am. Okay. Well, we are both automotive journalists, and we are here to talk to you about the latest happenings in the automotive industry. What do you think? That's a good way to describe what we're doing right now. Definitely. We also uh, rant a lot um, and uh, say weird stuff because we have a lot of weird thoughts. That's true. I mean, my medication has given me quite the imagination. It's quite the cocktail you're on there, Sammy. All right. He's like we'll a talk- human. He's like a human maraca when he walks through customs. It's just, it's incredible. <laughs> You've noticed that? I thought I didn't think everybody's that. noticed that, Sammy. Well, it hasn't stopped me from getting through customs every single time. I'm proud. I'm proud of that. To be honest, I'm very happy about that. Um, it's because of those iron pills. I've I've left most of my iron pills at home, and I do not set off the uh, metal detector. Fair enough. Now, let's talk about some cars, because uh, all the people listening to us probably want to hear about some new cars. And I have driven a new car this week, and I think you have driven up a, uh, a really interesting new car. So, uh, who will go first? You or me? I think Rock, you paper, should scissors. go first, because you're okay. super excited. I drove myself in a Audi A4, a brand new 2017 Audi A4. We have one at um, on, uh, on fleet as a long-term uh, car that we'll be evaluating over the next few uh, months. Who's, and who's we, Sammy? It's very mysterious when you say we. Uh, that's my publication, uh, autoguide.com. And um, I'm very I'm very excited. This is a good time to have an Audi A4 because it's um, the winter time. And most Audis come with um, – actually, I think all Audis come with all-wheel drive unless you get one of those weird front-wheel drive ones, which have I, like what? A, did they used to have a CVT? They used to have a CVT. They did used to have too. a CVT. Can you still get an A4 with, with uh, front-wheel drive? I think you can. Does it also come with a CVT? That sounds like a bad combination. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, this, it, CVTs aren't inherently bad. They just in, in, in enhance the chances that things could be bad. I think is the best way to put it. You can still get a yeah, you can get a front wheel drive A3. I know that for sure. So they're they're, right. they're out there. There there are non Quattro Audis out there. So I mean, the reason I say um, 
That would be, I don't, first of all, you're right. There's nothing wrong with CUTs, but I said this last week. I love this class because it's a very good blend of fun to drive and comfort and luxury. Um, and this is the sports sedan class that I'm talking about. And to have a CVT in these cars, um, is, is, it just seems to defeat one of the main purposes of having a sports sedan. Um, so <laughs> are, let's are, you trying to, are you trying to say the juke isn't sporty? That's it. <laughs> that's a lot of what I'm trying to say. At least the CVT equipped one. I really like the front wheel drive, uh, manual transmission, uh, juke. And I think you'd agree with me on that. Come on now. Okay. I just looked into the A4 and if you buy the front wheel drive model, it comes with a seven speed dual clutch. So you're in the clear. Ooh, ooh fantastic. Well, well, they fixed the, that one thing over the last generation product. And, um, here's what we could talk about when, through my experience with the, uh, current, the, the brand new one. Uh, it has a very punchy motor, a two liter, uh, turbocharged engine that makes something like 258 horsepower and uh, 273 pound-feet of torque, and it goes through a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, which is uh, nice and snappy. I quite, uh, I quite enjoyed my time in this car. And uh, if it's one thing that a lot of German cars do, is it, they mask that sense of speed. Um, I, I'm going on the highway, and I'm and I'm. The, the highway speeds, the regular highway speeds, I'm talking, you know, 100 kilometers an hour or 60 miles per hour. Uh, it feels like you're crawling along. And even once you get up um, past that, it just feels like the car is handling it with, with no problems. It's such a smooth uh, ride. And I was I was really surprised by that. I think that uh, part of that, too, is the fact that, I mean, the A4 was once upon a time the entry level into the Audi lineup. But now you have the A3, which is smaller. And uh, if you put an A4 beside an A4 from 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it's a much bigger car. So you have that longer wheelbase, which helps smooth out some of the uh, the roughness you might get on the highway. And you also have more space to add sound insulation, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. You know, uh, I was also doing some research on this vehicle. Um, despite all of that, um, you know, making it bigger, uh, adding in potentially more um, sound deadening, they actually made the car a little bit lighter. Uh, oh. Mainly because of the use of uh, aluminium. <laughs> is that how would you say it? Is that I how would say, say I would say aluminum. Aluminum, like cans, like Coke cans. Yes, yes, okay. that's exactly what Audi was thinking when they when they were like, "Hey, hey, how can we make the A4 lighter?" And a guy at the end of the conference table was like, "Make it like a Coke can," and then he crushed the Coke can in his hand, and everyone just stared at him. And then he's like, <laughs> "I don't even work here," and he ran out of the room. Uh, that sounds vaguely familiar to pretty much, I think it's the same guy who's been, who's been convincing everybody else to switch to aluminum. Um, and somehow, you know, somebody in that, in that conference is like, you know, I think he might be onto something. Well, inspiration comes from funny places. Yeah. I think he's just a, I think he's a, he's a former steel employee and he (laughs) is big steel. Yeah. He's a former big steel employee and he's been running around and sneaking into these meetings and convincing people to switch to aluminum. It's the uh, only way he can hit back. Yeah. Yeah, for real. After what they did to his family. The, the big steal? Big yeah, steal. Man, you, don't, you don't mess around with big steal. Once no. you sign on, you sign on for life. Unless, you know, you get out like him. But there's some sacrifices. You're right. Um, but what were we talking about? The we A4. We were talking about the A4. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it, except for the interior of the car was, uh, was while very interesting, not my favorite part. Well, see, that's, that's interesting that you mentioned that because people follow – people fall all over themselves talking about how Audi is the standard of the industry when it comes to interiors, and you seem to have an opposing viewpoint. 
Okay, so first of all, uh, there's one thing that I, I'll, I'll give it a lot of credit for. Um, the infotainment system and the virtual co cockpit are two dazzling pieces of technology. Like, seriously, dazzling. Yeah, view, virtual um, cockpit is very cool. It's uh, For those of you who've never seen it, it's a uh, instead of having actual physical gauges on the dashboard, um, you have this LCD screen that you can configure to show a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, it shows gauges like what you would expect to see, but you can also show the map. Uh, from the navigation screen in the middle and, and it's actually I, when i say in the middle it's not like a rectangle in between two gauges it, it's essentially the background of the entire uh, cluster so it's very immersive and uh, you can do a lot with it it's great uh, you know it's it, chrysler has done something similar to that not quite as elaborate mm -hmm. but for many years now on uh, vehicles like the 300 and then jeep and the grand cherokee does it as well and it, it's really cool and it's something i think more car companies should look into and uh, beyond that, though, the actual infotainment system in the center uh, of the dashboard is very quick, very snappy, uh, and easy to use. However, when you have these two very detailed, very um, information-heavy systems uh, or screens, I found myself uh, actually getting a little bit of information overload uh, and, and just staring and looking at things while I was driving when I should be looking out the windshield. Uh, <laughs> that was my first uh, you know, like, thought that maybe this is a bit too much. Of course, it probably takes a little bit more uh, getting used to driving the car and getting used to you know where things are and what kind of information is present. Um, not to mention, my car also had a was equipped with a head-up display, so at least I could see that on the on the windshield and I wouldn't have to look around um, too much. You know, it's it's funny that you should mention that a couple of points I wanted to make based on what you just said. Um, the the a lot of the time you'll hear car journalists and enthusiasts lament the fact that cars are losing buttons inside buttons and, and switches mm -hmm. and it's not because that we're, we're some kind of anachronism seeking uh weirdos who who want an older <laughs> who, who are basically just daydreaming about the old times through rose-colored glasses buttons and, and knobs work because they give you a tactile feedback on what you're doing with your hand without having to remove your eyes from the road. You can put the volume up, you can put the volume down, you can change radio stations, you can hear a click when you turn mm -hmm. on a heated seat. All of this stuff was designed for a reason. And when you move to the kind of interface that Sammy's describing, um, it can do a lot more and it looks great. But unless you pair it with the right type of interface that uh, somehow balances all the menu options you have on the screen with your ability to figure out what you're doing just with your hand while you're driving so you don't have to look down from the road. That's and looking and, and being able to look in the right place to see where your where your interactions are taking place too. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I mean, interface design is a huge challenge in almost every human endeavor. Uh, computers, <laughs> cars, um, you know, nuclear power systems, all this stuff. It's, it's like, how do you make humans who are relatively nuclear simple... power systems? Have you ever seen the control room in a nuclear a nuclear reactor? No, of course I wouldn't. Like, it's have a... you? You have. I have, and it's essentially a wall of lights, buttons, and dials, and readouts. And there's absolutely no way you could figure out what's going on. And this is a huge problem because you end up with a system that's there's too many. Okay, I'm not going to talk about. We're not going to go down to nuclear power rabbit hole just in terms of complexity and interaction. Okay. But yeah. we're human brains are very good at linking things together, but it's also possible to overwhelm us. And you never want to overwhelm someone when they're, you know, driving a 4,000 pound death sled that right. could easily hurt somebody or hurt themselves. I mean, I, I mean, not only are you, you're, I, you're, you're, you, you're, you're, what a hundred, I'm having a stroke right now. Excuse me. <laughs> you're, you're, you did it. You did it real justice by, first of all, saying all of that, um, 
especially in terms of the ergonomics of the car and describing a vehicle as a death sled, which is uh, frequently what I like to call it when I'm driving through the city. Um, <laughs> now, now, you, you, you absolutely killed it, though. That was right. Um, the ergonomics of this vehicle are so weird. Uh, for example, where do you usually expect a volume um, knob to be on a car? Most of the time, I expect it to be on the dash just below the screen. Okay, here's where it is on the Audi A4, by your passenger's leg. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny, There's a, it, we were talking, I think, about Mazda that does the same thing, where the, the volume knob has now oh. been relocated to the center console away from the driver. And actually, in the Miata, it's perfect for when you're shifting, your, your arm will hit it and, and instantly mute the music. It happens all the time. Um, and then the other thing, the infotainment uh, controls are just ahead, like above the, the gear stick. Um, so it's actually, the gear stick is supposed to ask, act like a, like a wrist, uh, rest if you want to, if that's the best way to describe it, which I think is kind of dangerous. Uh, I don't really like that idea because this also, as we were talking about last week, has one of those really weird gear sticks. Um, it's called which, a shifter, Sammy. Stop yeah. saying gear stick. You s- <sighs> <sighs> you're taking the, you're dragging the entire industry down. All right. It has this really weird, uh, shift operation, uh, device. Shift operation device. <laughs> <laughs> where uh you push it forward to put it into, into reverse you bring it you pull it back to put it into drive and you push a button on top of it to make it uh go into park and i don't and, know how you put it in, i don't know your, how you put it in neutral do your do your feet to operate the accelerator in the diesel matrix yes absolutely um but anyways i think that's really weird to have the uh the infotainment uh controls which is a knob just uh above this this um what did you call it? A uh, gear stick? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I use. You know, um, I, I this week I'm driving a uh, Volvo, a brand new Volvo, the S90, which is a full-size luxury sedan. And um, it has its own trick infotainment system mm-hmm. that commits many of the sins that we're discussing right now uh, by being overly complex in an effort to impress the user. Uh, I, I know you feel the same way about about the Volvo screen, but for anyone yep. who hasn't seen it, you get this, it's a vertically oriented screen. So <clears> Volvo, <throat> it's not necessarily bigger than what you'd find in other cars, but Volvo's tripped you by doing the Tesla thing where they flip it up so that it's taller than it is wide. And as a result, they've, they've used all four sides of the screen to hide menus. So you can drag your finger down from the top and there's menus from the left and the right. And at the bottom, mm-hmm. there's a button that will alternately bring you home or just bring up kind of a guide on how to use the menus. The problem is there's so much stuffed onto the screen at any one time using the tiniest of fonts. I'm I'm in my 30s. My eyesight has not completely left me yet. But if you're buying a Volvo S90, which is not an inexpensive car, you're not in your 30s. You're considerably older, and you're probably going to have trouble decide, deciphering what's on the screen while you're driving because the fonts are so small and everything is so crowded, and there's so many buttons. It's yeah. just... We get it, Volvo. You want us to like us. Sorry, but you want us to like you. You want us to realize that you're doing new things, and that's cool. And the car, I actually like the car, but the infotainment system is just overwhelming. Uh, and you know what? I will contrast b- between the two systems that we're describing right now. The Audi one is far more accessible, easier to use, and and user friendly. It's just these weird quirks that I was just not expecting. 
Um, but when talking about the Volvo infotainment system, my problem with it specifically is when you press something or sometimes uh, additional menus pop up and there's uh, extra scrolling required, I need my buttons, to, I need my interactions to be as short as possible so I can get on with the task of, of operating this death sled. Yeah, completely. And, you know, a lot of the time you'll pop up a, a window in the – it's hilarious that we're talking about windows in, in this infotainment system. But you'll pop it up and there'll be more information like that you don't know is there because yeah. you don't think to scroll down on this semi-invisible little scroll indicator on the right side and find the extra information. You expect to be shown what you need to know right away. And honestly, if it doesn't all fit on the screen, that's when you need to make some decisions about what you should really be showing the driver. Okay, and now let me just uh, let me just sum up uh, my Audi A4 experience. Uh, like so, I, I enjoy driving it. Uh, I don't know if I really like the exterior design. But that's up to you to decide. Uh, you tell me what what I should think. That'd be great. Um, and I didn't. Uh, I thought the interior was uh, was a bit of a mess. Uh, I thought it was a bit uh, too tech heavy and um, and inform and way too way too much information presented to the driver. But I absolutely enjoyed driving the car, with the exception of one thing, and that was the variable ratio steering. Um, which means that at different speeds, the steering ratio will change, uh, meaning sometimes the steering input needed to make a turn will be different each time you drive or at, in different driving circumstances. And that's annoying. I love consistency when I'm driving my car, and um, I'm just not used to it yet. So obviously well, – I mean Variable ratio steering has been around for a very, very long time, but it was mostly just low speeds where you noticed it because it was done to enhance parking. Okay. And I think and, that I think that what you're like like what you're saying is very true in the fact that there's no consistency yet in terms of how car companies are, you know, doling out the steering. Like, I mean, we since we change cars so often uh, in testing them, we're subjected to many different interpretations of how a feature should work. But uh, I mean, you look at a company like Infinity with its its electric steering with all the different uh, variations that you can program into it. And uh, then you look at a company like Audi where it's not quite the same thing. You don't have that level of granularity, um, but it's still the same idea. It's like an engineer somewhere has decided how much steering assist you need in any given situation. And then you either agree or you don't. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I truly believe at least we have this for a long term test. I'm looking forward to driving it again and getting more used to it. Um, and maybe those uh, those complaints I have will just turn into small uh, quibbles or um, I'll probably get very, very much used to it and, and be okay with just, it. Or maybe they'll just take the car away from you and you'll never drive it again. That's also possible. Honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to have long-term cars. So let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, let, I would love to hear your thoughts on the, uh, Volvo S90. Um, could you, do you mind, a lot of people might not know what an S90, an S90 is. Um, so, this is a, uh, a big S, a big sedan, right? Yeah, so 10 years ago, Volvo came oh, out with a, a big... With a, a history lesson? <laughs> Gather round, children, yeah. and we're going to talk about the Volvos. <laughs> 10 but, years uh, ago. 10 years ago, when I had more hair on my head and less on my body, <laughs> Volvo came out with a car called the S80. Mm-hmm. So the, the S80 was their top-of-the-line sedan, and for a brief shining moment, it was competitive, but... 
Volvo was in sort of a weird financial situation and they didn't update the car for a full decade. So yep. basically the S80 that you could have bought last year or the year before was the same as the first one that came out. And I wanted to shout out my favorite all-time Volvo feature, which was available with the S80. You could get you could get a system that would detect whether there was an intruder sitting in the back seat of the car based on whether their heart was beating or not. <laughs> and then that system would transmit that information to your key fob as you approach the car in a parking garage or parking lot so that you wouldn't get murdered. <laughs> Do you or, know, first of all, is this something that frequently happened in owners of, of Volvos? I first don't all, know. It's I, like, I, and, I, and you have to commend the automaker for being so dedicated to the, to, to the art of safety. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they created a car for uh, Jack Bauer or something. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, espionage, so we're going to incorporate my personal thoughts into what, what car safety features should exist in the world but that's a pretty cool feature um and it was probably the most high-tech thing about that car and you'll I never do, find I that feature i almost don't believe you but that sounds insane that it's sounds 100 percent a real How thing okay whatever uh, i imagine because there was a guy there was one of the guys in the boardroom when they were designing this car. we need to give it a, a killer feature oh i got a killer feature all sweden's right. <laughs> becoming a more dangerous place every day and we need to do something about that and then a guy in the back of the room was like put aluminum in the car and crush the can and they're like security get rid of this man <laughs> but uh no so anyway we were talking about the s90 so <laughs> So the the S80, it just, you know, it was ostensibly a luxury car, but it wasn't really anymore because time had moved on. And um, Volvo has fancy new owners now, and they've dumped a bunch of money into the company. And a lot of that money has gone into developing new drivetrains and new platforms. And last year, we got the S, uh, sorry, the XC90, which was the next generation version of their full-size crossover. And it's a pretty cool vehicle. It looks great. You can get a crazy hybrid version. But even if you don't want the crazy hybrid version, you can get the crazy supercharged and turbocharged four-cylinder version. Mm-hmm. Um, it's way too expensive in some models, but uh, it's a it's a fantastic vehicle, I think. Uh, That's the XC90 Vol- you're speaking of. The XC90. So then okay. after a year later, Volvo wanted to double down on that platform, and they gave us a sedan version. So basically, under the skin, it's the same as the XC90. It has all-wheel drive. It has the turbocharged and supercharged four-cylinder engine, mm-hmm. and uh, it will come in a hybrid eventually. But it's wrapped in this very sleek-looking, uh, not exactly Volvo-esque body. And uh, again, they're asking money that you would probably be more likely to spend on a German car. Okay. In that luxury segment, but not but, a, the, but not a Japanese car. No, Ooh. I don't think so. I'm, oh, here I, we go. I okay. don't know who's buying the Lexus LS, but I assume somebody is. But right. anyway, I mean, the S90 is an LS competitor in theory. It's a seven series competitor. It's a it's a S class competitor, even though it's not. But it's it's that same size. Um, and uh, the interior is fantastic. The car looks great inside, aside from the infotainment system, which is overly complex. The rest of the car looks great. It smells great. It uh, it's, it smells it's, great. It's, it is that something you is that something you included in all of your car like your notes for every single car? No, that is a that is something unique to our podcast listeners. They get to hear about my my uh, olfactory impressions of a vehicle. We um, also have a smell cast, right? Don't we? We do Don't have, we have a smell cast, on, on, but you can't subscribe to it because on because Sniff Cloud. <laughs> Sniff Cloud is a little weird about about it's 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 members only. Um, okay. 
But uh, the back seat's huge. Uh, the Volvo looks. I've had people come up to me on the street and talk to me about the Volvo, which is something that never happens. Um, in a Volvo. Volvo. That's crazy. So yeah, it's a cool car. I, I took it on a uh, about a uh, 250 mile mile trip this week, round trip, and nice. uh, it was extremely comfortable. Okay. And it, it was uh, snowing like crazy, and I had the all-wheel drive model was what I was driving. I don't know if you can get a front-wheel drive model. I assume maybe you can, but um, it, it was sure-footed, no problems. Uh, the power is surprisingly decent for a four-cylinder. And I think that uh, this engine, in the XC90, it's underpowered because the XC90 is quite heavy. But in the mm-hmm. uh, the S90, it's, it's exactly what it needs. Um, it's not super quick but it's uh as fast as you would want it to be and i i think it's a good car i just you know i've said this before no one's buying big sedans anymore everyone wants an suv Mm -hmm. and i don't understand who's going to be buying this car from volvo because not only is it a challenger product but it's a challenger product in a segment that no one buys (laughs) right so i don't know What what do you think sammy uh, I've driven the car, and I do not, I will not uh, recommend it over any of the German comp- competition. However, um, I think it fares well against uh, Japanese competitors, and I know we said the LS, and the LS is especially old, but uh, there's also things like, um, it's a tiny bit bigger than the Q70, the Infiniti Q70, which is also a kind of aging car. Even the uh, Q70 long wheelbase super limo edition? Yeah, I, I would I would definitely take a Volvo over that. Um what there's also the sorry the Koreans is the one that I think um, ah that see that that's where it gets interesting that is where it gets interesting uh, the G90 from Genesis is Fantastic a far better car. product than Fantastic the car. than the Volvo uh, and I think it's commanding the same price point you the, say you say far better no what about it is far better to you because that's that's those are strong words uh, it's a smoother it is a smoother drive and uh, that's weird because I, I recall the Volvo being exceptionally smooth but the but the Genesis just being like an s class well, and and the Genesis I mean has much more motor with that twin turbo yeah. v6 or is, you can get a v8 I think too yeah right? but why bother are, that v6 is yeah. way better and I, I'm pretty sure the v6 is underrated I, I don't believe anything uh, with those heart, horsepower figures they're giving us I think they're just protecting the v8. And then the only car I would take the S90 over, I think, would be the Cadillac CT6. Well, what about the RLX? Oh, uh, right. I completely forgot about the RLX. <laughs> Everyone forgot about the RLX. <laughs> um, here's my problem with the RLX. Um, it we is don't have not... enough time. We don't have enough time in the show for you to... My biggest problem is for for this kind of size vehicle, you expect to put people in the back seat. Um, and the back seats of the RLX are not especially um, spacious. And there's a transmission um, little hump back there. Uh, so people, you know, so it, it takes up quite a bit of space. Uh, and that was something I did not expect in this car. In I'm, that- willing to, I'm willing to bet the majority of our listeners were unaware the RLX even existed. Or, yeah. if they were car fans, had not seen one in the wild. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because that is a rare car. It's, uh, and for all the right reasons. They... <laughs> There's no reason to buy one, really. Um, so yeah, I mean the the S90 is a solid product, but everyone else in that com- in that segment uh, makes something that is just far more compelling, uh, with the yeah. exception of Acura and Cadillac, I think. And and Lexus. Uh, and if you want to throw Lincoln in the mix, uh, the Continental might might be a good uh, a good uh, comparison for the S90. And I don't think that's something that Volvo wants to be referenced to or compared you know, against. You know, what, well, what what makes me excited about the the S90? Like so so I don't I don't I'm not quite as down on the car as you are. I mean, I like the car, but yeah, it's not in the best position right now. It's an uphill battle for them, mm-hmm. which is too bad. But well, what was that? Nothing. 
Okay. <laughs> and um, what excites me about the car is that interior could easily be ported down to the S60. Right. Where okay. it would look fantastic. So this is the uh, you're right. The best part about the S90 is just what it means for the rest of the the Volvo lineup. It is be- a good looking car on the outside. The interior is is very minimalistic, very nice. There, I also have some complaints with that. Uh, I think they made some weird decisions, like uh, how do how do you turn on the car? You you like you turn on a a, a weird switch in the middle of the. It's okay. true, and you know, you know what? I accidentally I forgot to turn it off when I was taking photos of it recently, and I thought I put it in park, but I didn't. And I got out of the car, and the car just went, and I oh, had to like no. dive. Yeah, I had to dive in the car and turn and and hit the brake. And it's because I don't think to look and do that weird switch thing on the center of the car. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not it's not automatic. Um, I I hope we're not running into another Chrysler shifter situation uh, like we talked about before. But uh, yeah. But the interior is gorgeous. The materials are, uh, I found, very nice. The fit and finish was pretty solid. Uh, the infotainment system needs some needs some rethinking. Uh, yes. But I also recall it having a very nice digital gauge cluster as well. And uh, something else um, that strikes me about the, the XC90 and, and by extension the S90 is nothing else in the Volvo showroom resembles it. Yeah. And that must be a really hard sell if you're a Volvo salesman. Someone comes in, they see this S90 like, oh, this is great, but I can't really afford it. Do you have something else that's uh, more in my range? And he says, sure, I do. And then he steps you over to the S60, which has, like, the world's oldest infotainment system and, like, an interior that's that has still has a number pad on the dash. It has dash. a dump pad in it, yep. In case, you know, you want to send a fax. Um, and I, that's tough. Uh, right. I really want Volvo to succeed, and I want them to have a cohesive lineup. And um, starting at the top with these two cars, the XC90 will sell, whether, the, whether it will sell at its highest price tag, I don't know. But it will sell at at, at the entry level. It's a it's a well thought out vehicle. The S90, I think it's more of a flagship um, kind of a I don't know what what you would call a halo car that few people will actually buy. Um, okay. And they're gonna have to beef up the uh, you know the S60, V60, S60 cross country, all that stuff. You know that's the bread mm-hmm. and butter for the for the company. And I'm looking forward to that because uh, I, I too I kind of want Volvo to succeed. They have a lot of great ideas and uh, safety. Their their safety is their their track record with safety is something to be uh, to be admired. Um, <laughs> speaking they, of speaking of safety, mm-hmm. um, I was trapped in the rear seat of an S90, the S90 that I still have in my driveway uh, this week because of a safety feature. Okay, what? I uh, I was taking pictures of the car from the inside, and I needed to uh, take dash shots. So I got in the back of the car, and I closed the door. And um, it had child locks activated, I guess, because I couldn't open the doors anymore in the back. I was stuck. Oh, no. And it, it, I, I'm in Montreal right now, which is where I live, and it's very cold. It was minus uh, 4 degrees Celsius, Fahrenheit, which is about minus 20 mm-hmm. uh, Celsius. And the windows were frozen shut. Really? And, uh, I, yeah, I couldn't roll down the windows. So I was stuck in the car in the back, and, and I didn't want to make a huge mess. It's a light-colored interior, and I'm wearing boots, and I didn't want to crawl all over the car. There's not a lot of room to, like, you know, right. the car's not designed for you to crawl from the back to the front. Um, so I had to warm up the windows with my body <laughs> and then roll down the window and open the door from the outside. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 and it, I could reach in the front and hit the unlock lock buttons and all that stuff. 
but I didn't know where the child lock thing was, and and I was too intimidated by the infotainment system to go inside <laughs> and like try and find it because I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not reading the manual. It's not gonna happen. So you were in a you were in a moment of, moment of panic too. I guess I was not really panic, more like resignation. Like I was like I was at a moment where I was I was comfortable with just maybe taking a nap and having a good Samaritan find me inside the car and like let me out like a child had been left by his parents <laughs> or something like that. But, but you're yeah, sure anyway. it was child? It was a child lock. Did you find the child lock setting <laughs> afterwards? And turn it... the ch- I hope it was the child lock. What else would it be? The the door here's so the door was unlocked, okay, <laughs> but it wouldn't open from the inside. What do you call that feature? The like the the abduction feature? Is this the anti heartbeat feature that they're like? Well, the S80 protected you from an abduction, but the S90 facilitates <laughs> an abduction. <laughs> that was no, the maybe you know it saw how cold it was out there and uh, it figured it was warmer and safer for you in the back seat and. And it just turned. It didn't, wouldn't wouldn't let you leave. I think that's a good idea. Well, you know, here's the thing. In Sweden, there's a saying that there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. So I don't feel like um, Volvo would protect me from the winter that much. But I something weird that did happen while I was back there. <laughs> one of the weird things that I'll, I'm willing to talk <laughs> about was um, there's a lock button on the on the door. And uh, in the back. And if you push the button, it'll lock the door. And if you push the button again, nothing happens. Oh, no. <laughs> it stays locked. What the <laughs> hell is that button for? That is weird. What the? <laughs> yeah, that's a safety feature. If you see somebody, if your kid sees someone's coming or somebody in the back seat, they can lock it individually right there. Boom. Locked. Locked. I guess so. And then what? why can't they unlock it? Is, is, is it so if the guy, like, puts a lollipop up to the window, <laughs> the kid's not like, oh, well, if there's a lollipop and then hits the lock button and then, bam, heartbeat feature, totally ignored, kid's gone. Look, I trust Volvo with the safety ideas that they have here, and I'm sure they're onto something. It's going to work out just fine. Everything's going to be okay there. Um <sighs> I'm surprised it didn't it didn't have the key fob the key fob didn't net mention the the heartbeat in the back of the car that would be interesting that would have been far more is that feature gone is that not happening anymore I mean they haven't talked about it which makes me think it's gone oh that's too bad okay yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a really good I mean honestly it's a it's a it's an interesting car and uh, that's quite the experience you had in it. Um, how it handled the snow? That was. Could you could you just reiterate how it handled the snow? Because we got hit with a pretty rough uh, snowstorm ourselves, and I was wondering what your experience in the in it was was like. Well, there was no there was no problems. It was completely stable. Uh, no issues at all. And you know, uh, actually, this is something that you, now that you remind me. Um, it has a feature called Pilot Assist. Okay. And Pilot Assist. I'm just gonna take this note down. Yeah. It it's uh it's like the the S class in that it'll follow the lines on the road and I think I'm not sure if it follows the car in front of you, but uh, it uses a series of semi-autonomous features where it'll basically steer the car for you while it's maintaining the speed that you set on the adaptive cruise control as long as you keep your hands on the wheel. Um, so I I used the pilot assist in some pretty bad weather, and it was working wow, okay. right up until the fact it, it worked until the lines on the road were covered with snow. So okay. I had a line on the left, on the center line, you could still see it. The line on the right on the shoulder was covered, and the pilot assist just kicked off. Okay. And then it would come back, and <clears> then it would kick for maybe 10 seconds, and then it would kick off again. And this is at night, so things are more reflective than they would be during the day. Okay. Um, so that was kind of disappointing, because uh, the, it was clear where the lane ended, because the snow was a very clear delineation. But at the same time, you really want these semi-autonomous features to work in the worst conditions possible because that's when you don't want to be driving and that's when you want to have help. Yeah. And 
I, I found that the pilot assist was really heavy-handed in its steering. Like, it moves the wheel mm-hmm. not exactly in the smoothest way. And that can be an issue when you're driving on snow or ice like I was uh, earlier in the day when traction's at a premium and you don't want to have abrupt movements from the steering wheel. And you also don't want to be oscillating back and forth in the lane. You want to stay centered. Right. So pilot assist in the winter, not really great and just proves how far away we are from self-driving technology. Volvo is one of the you know self-declared leaders in this. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to roll out autonomous cars. But... Um, they're going to have to do it where it's warm because uh, where it's cold and where we have snow and ice, the technology is not ready. Well, this is a, this is a really interesting segue. Um, as much as they want to do it while it's warm, um, they are providing – Volvo is providing self-driving XC90s um, to Uber in San Francisco. And uh, they launched it and um, unfortunately one was caught on video running an intersection with a pedestrian in it and almost hitting a, another car. And we have a video of this uh, this thing. You can find it on, on the internet anywhere. Um, and almost immediately after, California has decided that maybe they're going to shut down those uh, self-driving XC90s. And they're not quite <laughs> ready for the prime time yet. Well, you know, it's it's so correct me if I'm wrong, but the self-driving XC90s have to have a human operator in the driver's seat, right? I believe so, yeah. So what the hell happened? I guess somebody just uh, fell asleep or there wasn't enough of a, of a notice to say that there was something potentially wrong or I, I mean, or maybe, maybe just maybe human drivers are pretty terrible too. Yeah, maybe that's probably why, because why we need autonomous driving technology in the first place. <laughs> but, but if autonomous driving technology is programmed by humans who are bad <laughs> at driving, then, 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 oh no, <laughs> oh, it's too late for all of us. <laughs> Yeah, what are we going to do? We should all just get off the roads. That's um, the thing. Like, uh, I've always wondered, you know, will we have different driving modes to match attitudes? Uh, once once autonomous driving becomes a thing, can I push a button and get, like, South Jersey driver? Yeah. And, like, just no, stop, stoplights and stop signs don't mean anything? Or can I get, like, Prius driver and yeah. it's just someone who's doing 85 in the left lane the whole time? <laughs> Corolla driver. Corolla uh, driver, yeah. They're always five miles under. They're always, uh, they're always directly in front of you. Like that would be fun. It just gives your car a personality and it makes yeah. makes things more colorful out on the road. The Autobahn mode, where you just so like, where you're just tailgating everybody. It's like a BMW tailgating mode, like and it flashes the brights like every thirty seconds. Yes, there you go. It, and it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't use a signal to change lanes. And then Montreal mode, where it's constantly swerving to avoid potholes. Like it, <laughs> it enhances the lidar so that it points downwards. Oh no, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so I mean that was an interesting story. There's actually quite a quite a few interesting stories that popped up this year this week on um, on the news on the newswire, and that That's was one true. of I them. Mean, uh, Google is also uh, did, made a splash with self driving, sort of this week <laughs> when they announced they were spinning off. So they the company Alphabet that owns Google mm-hmm. uh, is creating a new company called Waymo, which. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's going to be their autonomous car company. Uh, it's run by a guy named John Kravchuk, who is actually a pretty cool guy, has a lot of good ideas, and uh, he was at Hyundai for a long time. Um, but uh, they had a press conference this week. They showed off their little car, the little Waymo car. Um, there wasn't a lot of detail about how they're going to make this happen, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they're still in the game. Some people had speculated that Google was going to kind of pull away from autonomous driving and make that part of their pie in the sky initiative. Like they always fund programs that maybe are very far away from being um, actual products. Right. But it seems like that's not the case with Waymo. 
You think this is going to be a real? Uh, it, it used to be a long shot, and now it's now it's a real thing. No, I don't think it used to be a long shot. I think they were considering making it a long shot. Now it's the other uh, way around. You think now this is just a? a they're a, staying the course. I think they're okay. staying the course. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, building a car is hard. Just ask Tesla. Right? Yeah. You know. And um, well, some people don't think it's as hard as uh, Tesla's making it out to be. Have you heard about the the, the other going ons in in Tesla world? I have um, heard about it. We have uh, a new car from Lucid Motors. The Lucid Motors Air is the name of the car. And um, Faraday Future is on a tease spree uh, for their CES reveal of, the, um, of their production car. And these are, true. These are two electric uh, vehicle uh, automakers, or electric automaker, electric vehicle makers. Is that, what's the way to describe them here? Electric car companies. How about that? Okay, sure. So they're electric vehicle uh, automakers, and um, they are um, they're both American uh, with significant Chinese investment. Actually, they're both they both have significant investment from the same company, which is interesting. Uh, Li Echo, which is um, a Chinese, um, I believe, media company. Uh, or owned by a Chinese millionaire who's uh, planning to make his own electric vehicle. Uh, with, and it just seems like a very interesting idea that's going on here. But let's talk about the car that debuted this week, which was the um, Lucid Air Motors. Uh, sorry, Lucid Motors Air. It has a 100 kilowatt hour battery. It's said to go about 400 miles on a single charge and should have 1,000 horsepower and a 0 to 60 time of 2.5 seconds. Doesn't that sound all sorts of crazy? It, it, you know, I just want to point out that none of this exists. It's not a real car. It hasn't been built. And you can say anything you want when you when you launch a car, when you have a prototype. Um, how many car, car companies in the last 120 years have existed? Well over a 1,000, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And it's very, very hard to build a car, and it's even harder to successfully sell one. So, so you're on the skeptical you, side of this. You're on the, no, you're I'm not on the skeptical. I'm not saying I'm skeptical. I'm just saying, you know, facts and, and stats are, are great, but this is PR. And uh, we're journalists, uh, ostensibly, and our job is not to be mouthpieces of PR. So I think that, you know, responsibly, we have to we have to mention the grain of salt when we're talking about these cars. All right. I'm not saying you're not responsible, Sammy. I'm just saying... I'm just saying. Every time I hear this kind of stuff, no, I hear you from any. You I hear know, any you company. the same the same way. And these people have very very bold ambitions um, and goals for for car sales and even pricing for these cars, which uh, is great. I mean, I want them to succeed. I want to see more companies. I want things to get shaken up. But do you really think an eighty thousand dollar EV is going to do it? No. No. Um, what do you think is going to? I don't. Yeah. No, what do I think will, will change things? Yeah. An actual electric car infrastructure that stretches from C to C. That's what'll do it. It's not going to be a car. It's going to be the ability to actually charge your car. That's going to make a difference. You don't think having these cars um, hit hit customers' hands and and the the only thing that's holding them back is this infrastructure and that will put pressure on um, these utility companies or however you want to describe them um, to put more charging stations or or ways to charge them faster. I don't. I don't think those companies it's, feel feel any any pressure at all. Okay. I don't think they. There's. What's what's the market for electric cars? Less than half a percent. Yeah. I mean, no no none of these. No, no one at a utility is, is you know staying up late at night wondering how am I going to deal with the influx of of electric cars. It's this is you know, it's it's difficult to uh, make a sea change in any kind of industry, um, and sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and spend way too much money on infrastructure and. Uh, 
that's what AT&T did back before it was AT&T, back when it was Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what uh, the railroad companies did. Uh, it's you never want to be the person who does that <laughs> because I mean, look at uh, a great, great example of sat phones. I, I believe when, when uh, the company, uh, what were they called? I can't remember now. Um, there was a, the, the company that came out with satellite phones in the, in the nineties when it, when it became, you know, semi viable, uh, they launched all of these satellite Iridium, I think was the name of the okay. company. They launched all the satellites, they paid for that. And then they went bankrupt <laughs> because no one could afford the service because to pay back for all of that, you know, all those satellites getting up into orbit was horrendously expensive. But then you had companies take over the satellites later on who didn't have the capital investment. It was the same thing with satellite radio. You know, anything. These are two examples of very expensive infrastructure that is 100% necessary to for the industry to move forward. Okay, well, uh, you say that, but um, the Chevrolet Bolt is uh, is coming. It's a very affordable. Um, electric vehicle with a solid range of um, about uh, with, of over 200 miles, and it has achieved its target of, of hitting customers by the end of this year. Uh, three bolts were were given to people in San Francisco this week, and um, that's a place that has a pretty strong uh, electric uh, car infrastructure in terms of charging. And hopefully the rest of the the states and and North American can and I guess the world can see some of this. Um, this progress that'd be nice huh yeah for sure I, I i like the bolt i think it's a cool car i haven't driven one yet i'm looking forward to doing it um i think more affordable cars are you know better than the extremely expensive cars just in terms of building the numbers that you were talking about to mm-hmm. uh, to to generate some kind of critical mass to kick off an infrastructure but i mean it's, it's chicken and the egg right like do we need more cars to create infrastructure or do we need the infrastructure to create consumer confidence to buy more cars you know, i yep. don't know the answer that is a that's 100 percent a serious problem and there should have been there you'd think there'd be more um cooperation on both ends of the both both of these things should should grow in unison with one another and they're not um you know kind of tying things together uh we're looking at the news and a ces is coming up we're both going to be there yeah um so we'll have a lot of fun and probably very stressed out stories to tell you we have uh, I'm, I'm actually i'm i'm trying not to get stressed out about it right now but uh, <laughs> we have we have ces and detroit back to back so that will be fun yeah but uh bmw is, is going to be at ces as always they usually put on a pretty big spread yeah and um they they're bringing something called hollow active touch uh, which is a, a form of interface. Wait, wait, wait. That, Let me guess. Hollow active touch. It just does. It makes you feel empty on the inside, right? No, no, you're you're wrong on that one. I mean, I wish, I wish something could could empty me out and <laughs> and and remove this dread and despair. But uh, <laughs> instead, what we get is um, kind of like you know in in Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie where she was like, "Help me, Obi Wan. You're my only hope." Yeah, I remember that. Being, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I the that. little hologram and mm-hmm. the the that R two D. Well, it's nothing like that. <laughs> But it is sort of like that in the sense that it's a virtual control that BMW is going to project, and then you can interact with it with your hands. Um, we haven't seen what it looks like yet, but uh, BMW has done this before. In the current 7 Series, it has gesture control, yeah. where if you wave your hands in front of the screen, it mutes the volume, and it pisses you off because <laughs> you were just you were just rocking out. You were just jamming out. You were just fist I know, which happened to me all the time in that car. Uh, again, though, this is, I think, another case of technology we don't need. And which only complicates the user experience for for drivers. Okay, let's talk uh, for a second. That gesture control is a neat idea, but you never knew what you were doing. There was no quite. There was no like t- the tutorial wasn't there, and you're never going to remember the the gestures, are you? 
But exactly. I think having and there's no a feedback, control, there's, yeah. there's just results. And I think having <laughs> this, yeah, exactly. And I think having a hologram or some sort of way to see what you're doing or to have to, to place your hand or to do it right might help in that sense. But again, we go all the way back to the to the question of why do we need this? Uh, yeah, why, why? I mean, why simulate something you could just if I simulate a button, you could just fucking put on the on the damn the damn dashboard. I, I mean, mean, if I know correctly, I'm pretty sure volume because the 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 gesture controls I've seen and used are volume up, volume down, mute, answer, and hang up. Right? Yeah. All of those controls are on the steering wheel, which is where they should be. And I don't even need to take my hands or my eyes off the steering wheel. Uh, to, to activate those functions. So what's the point? What's, what happened there? What's the point indeed? <laughs> so, Why can't this just hollow me out? <laughs> I would much more prefer it if, uh, if it, was just this, it was just this feature that made me feel a little hollow and empty on the inside. But Hey, but you never know. We haven't seen it. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe it is. And you know what? I actually really like how much um, BMW shows off at, these, at, this, at CES. They definitely take it um, seriously. They show off some new technology that has not been... Uh, demonstrate in any other way. It feels like a playground for um, like car like car software. Um, this is where you're going to see semi-autonomous features or vehicle to um, infrastructure communication systems being shown off. And I think that's super cool. Well, we have, uh, like we said, it's uh, the end of the year. Uh, and this actually, it's not our last show, but I think it's our second to last show because uh, Mr. Hajasad is going to be on vacation next week. I am going on vacation next week. I will report. So, uh, I will report back the following week. What do you think of that? That's right. We'll have our wrap up show. We'll talk about I think the coolest things we've done this year, and we did a lot of cool things. Oh yeah, this was um, a good year for sure. So that'll be fun. Uh, we'll we'll set up uh, CES in Detroit, which are immediately after. I, I believe <laughs> I'm leaving January third. I think Sammy goes on the second. Yeah. No, and I'm doing third to seventh, and then eighth to tenth. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crushing time <laughs> to be a journalist. Um, oh come on. But we'll have we'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, so uh, one one good wrap up show, and then one show that kicks off the year in in a big way with uh, with a lot of of news and interesting things and weird experiences. I think absolutely, I'm looking forward to it, and I can't wait. Um, so I hope everyone else is having a good time and listening to the podcast. If you have any feedback you want to give me or Ben, feel free to reach out to us. You could reach me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing at me, um, which is probably what you're doing in terms of the feedback. Um, and Ben, where, where can people find you? Um, on the Twitter, I'm at hunting Benjamin, but, uh, the, I prefer the email, which is Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. but really just do whatever you're comfortable with. And, uh, hopefully we'll meet in the middle. That'd be nice. That, what a half tweet, half email. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, whatever digital chimera you can come up with. Snapchat. People are going to Snapchat. I don't have Snapchat. Can we do, do we have an undamed automotive Snapchat? Yet? Don't, don't pretend you don't have Snapchat. <laughs> oh, and if you're, if you want to hear other episodes, you want to subscribe, um, you can get us on iTunes or Google play and all that stuff. You can also go to unnamed automotive podcast.com or you can go to SoundCloud and search autumn, uh, unnamed automotive podcast. All the episodes are there for your listening pleasure. Yeah, and that's it for that's it for us. We'll see you not in one week, but in, in, in the week after that. What do you think? That's a good idea. That that is a good idea. So have a great uh, a great vacation, Sammy, and uh, everyone out there. Looking forward to your listenership in a couple weeks. And I guess I have to say Merry Christmas too, right? Let's just let's just wish some people some happy holidays and Merry Christmas because that's what's happening too. Totally, some non-denominational holiday celebrations. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. <laughs>